Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 54. I'm Joshua Klein. And I'm Mike Optograph. And we are continuing our mini-series going through David Pye's The Nature and Art of Workmanship. Uh, we're going chapter by chapter, taking each one and unpacking it. And now we are in chapter three, Is Anything Done by Hand? Yeah, so Pye starts this chapter by looking at, he's saying... Um, Things are made by a succession of different operations. So he's saying we can uh, take a different approach to these operations. We could saw by hand. Let's say you pull out your 200-year-old uh, crosscut handsaw. Uh, we can do it that way. You could do it on an electrically driven bandsaw. Could use a frame saw, which is a handsaw of another sort. Or there, are, you know, a myriad of ways that you yep. can cut a board. Um, but what we're looking at is uh, the, these new categories he introduced in the last chapter, risk and certainty, the workmanship of risk and the workmanship of certainty. And he's saying um, we can draw out from the operations by estimating the degree of risk where they fall on this spectrum. And the example he uses is, is one that um, it, I think it's a pretty powerful one. So <laughs> take, take these two possibilities. Okay? Literally powerful. Powerful, yeah. So let's say you have been, you have a cavity, you're in the dentist chair, you're sitting back there, that light is overhead, they've put the little goggles on you so the bits of your tooth doesn't come out and fly into your eye. (laughs) So the dentist is guiding that little electric drill, right? So contrast that with just somebody in the shop using an egg beater drill to bore a hole in a board, right? So let's evaluate the risk mm-hmm. in those two operations. Um, I.e., the, the degree to which the result is in the artisan's hand. Right. Uh, in the first example of the dentist, you could say it's pretty much 100%, very nearly 100% in the hand of the dentist how that's going to work out yep. uh, for, for you, for your tooth, um, for that whole operation. The dentist's care and dexterity and judgment are 100% in control, even though this is a powered tool. This is a machine. In the second one... uh, The egg beater drill. The egg beater drill. It's kind of hard to mess that up. I mean, it's possible, but it's a pretty predetermined result. The bit is determining the size of the hole. All you have to do is set the bit properly on the spot you've marked and turn the handle till you're through, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can get the angle a little bit, but there... You have some wiggle room. He says, uh, the hand workman, if the hand workman is full enough, he may break the drill. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean, I've broken pretty, some bits. It's pretty in surprising what can happen. Yeah. yeah, you can you can be full <laughs> enough to do just about anything. Um, but what he says here, and this is a point that um, people might be inclined to argue with Pi with this point. I might be inclined to argue with Pi, but he doesn't get into this except to say that here... The source of power is completely irrelevant to the risk. The power tool may need far more care, judgment, and dexterity in its own use than the hand-driven one. That second sentence I certainly agree with. Mm-hmm. Like if you've seen um, pictures or I don't know if video exists of Sam Maloof like running one of the arms of his rocking chair through a bandsaw. Like he's cutting this compound curve in multiple dimensions by eye on a bandsaw. That is amazing. That's artistry. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also a machine. And that doesn't negate the fact that it's absolute artistry what he's doing. Um, so 
Yeah, I think the only thing that I would quibble with, you said you're not sure about that first sentence. Right. The source of power is completely irrelevant to the risk. I think the only little quibble, I, I, I would say I basically agree with that, except I take the word completely out. Right. Because, of course, uh, when something is powered, it affects right. the amount of certainty of the result. Yes. You know what I mean? So if you were to- If he was cranking that drill as he was applying it to your tooth- Exactly. That would change things a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So I do think, I don't think it's completely irrelevant to the risk, um, but mostly. He's trying to just say, well, don't worry about, you know, whether you plug it in or not. Mm -hmm. That's that's a total distraction. That's a total, you know, it's a red herring over here. What we're actually talking about is the, the guiding of the tool is, right. Are you able to hold the tool still? Are you able to uh, have the dexterity and care that's that's required? Yeah, so at this point, he gets into sort of the crux of this chapter, and that is, is anything really done by hand, right? And so he's he's taking the, the, the technical approach. Uh, you might say he's doing like a reductio ad absurdum, where it, he's saying, yeah. he's like chasing this down to its most absurd ends to say, is anything done by hand? Basically, just to show that by hand or handmade is not a technical term. Yeah, what he basically does is he tries to say, okay, people defined handicraft as this. Oh, right. but that doesn't work because of this, so maybe it's like that. And he starts listing all these um, flawed definitions of handicraft and machine, and he goes on and on and on. And uh, basically, at the end of this long string of all of these, he says... Uh, is it not time to give up and admit that we are trying to define in the language of technology a term which is not technical? Yeah. So I think he, he lists all these examples which can, which can get twi- uh, quite tedious, and that's kind of his point. Mm-hmm. He wants to say, stop talking about handmade as if that were a technical term. Right. Um, what we what I want to think about is, you know, even sawmills and water-driven hammers. They've been you know, around forever. Have been a long, you know, he talks about the 12th century, how there are these sawmills. And so uh, we really don't want to go down this path of trying to um, define handmade in some sort of technical way. And it's, I think the point's well taken. And then that's what he's trying to push against. Yeah, he says that these terms are historical or social terms, not technical ones. And I would say that's not to say they're not valuable, right? but they are historical or social, and they change with context to the point where you can have objects that are said to be handmade, and it doesn't fit at all the definition you have in mind of handmade. That's where the arguments arise, because people have different definitions, and that's why Pi is saying, well... The, the flaw is in the definitions. So let's step back and look again at workmanship rather than using these terms that everyone has a different perspective on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where a lot of the, um, you know, hand tool, power tool uh, debates that, that can happen go awry is that there's sort of that whole thing when people say, oh yeah, but what's really handmade? Right. Is, and you start thinking, you start trying to use the word. So actually, I think a lot of people, when they talk about, oh, I just love, um, you know, handmade furniture, uh-huh. they are using that as a, in a social way. They're saying, you know, I, I know this uh, woodworker and I bought this for my wife. And it's, there's they're not trying to make some technical statement, but then someone will jump and say, ah, but that's not technically handmade because a tool was used. Yes. (laughs) Or a machine, a lathe is a machine and that was utilized. Sure. Yeah. And so it's sort of like a, a a talking past. And so I think it is helpful that Pi is just, you know, holding up, you know, let's just note this for a minute that this term is actually a 
a social term, mm-hmm. not a technical one. Yeah, he says the ordinary usage of these terms, uh, handmade, handcraft, all that, he says uh, they seem to refer to workmanship of any kind which could have been found before the Industrial Revolution. Right. So that's not uh, even modern things that are using means and methods and tools that would have existed before the Industrial Revolution. That's kind of the 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 throwaway uh, most common definition for the idea of handmade today. Yeah. So he gets into this then discussion of um, Lewis Mumford's uh, distinction between these these different phases of technology uh, throughout uh, history, eotechnic, paleotechnic, and neotechnic. And he kind of just says, this is what Mumford says about it. Um, and he's referencing uh, Mumford's book, Technics and Civilization, uh, which is a great book. It's interesting, but it's more of the history of the development of technology and the social implications of it. But he's just basically laying out, saying there are these different stages that Mumford talks about, um, and but basically all of the, so that the basically saying the eotechnic, which is uh, the year one thousand to seventeen sixty, that the seeds of the industrial revolution, uh, the the or it actually is the embryo of the industrial revolution, is in this phase. Mm. So uh, when we think about workmanship of certainty and jigs and uh, predetermined ways of working. That's already there in seed form. Yeah. And it's when the Industrial Revolution comes, it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. But this this way of working has always been present and is just flourishing at this time. Yeah. Uh, so he holds up, he he gives three examples for um, objects in from these periods. So for the eotechnic period, he talks about a wooden barrel. And then from the paleotechnic, he talks about a galvanized steel bucket, right? So... Uh, it's kind of mixing. And, and paleotechnic is the Industrial Revolution right. era. Yep. yep. And so then now in the neotechnic, uh, that's the electricity and alloy era, which I'm not sure that uh, if Pi were to write a revision of this book today, if he were still alive, um, if he would say we're still in the neotechnic as he defined it here, yeah. or where we are now. Yeah, I don't know how that classification would <laughs> yeah. would uh, play out. Because he's talking about a thermoplastic watering can. So that's, you know, a plastic Now we're in the meta-technic. Yeah, so now your your watering bucket <laughs> is in the metaverse, and it's not even real. And anymore. it will never leak. It can't, yeah. It's the ideal because it's not in reality anymore. So that's where Anyways. we are. We're in the non-reality phase of life. Uh, getting back to Pi. Sorry. Um, yeah, so he gives a few examples of extremely early workmanship of certainty. Because as he said before, uh, it's been a long time if ever if anyone has truly engaged in the workmanship of risk to the nth degree. Now he's giving examples, early examples of workmanship of certainty. Uh, he talks about Theophilus and his um, noting, where was it, in the 11th century, giving descriptions of different metalworking things. Punches that, and punch, stamps. Yeah, they were and, used yeah, to give a very predictable punch, result punch, punch, to the punch, work. Punch, 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 and you have this you know pattern that just is put right there. Yep. And then there's a, a silversmith who used stamping dies and things like that. Um, so basically saying, you know, these things uh, have all existed on a spectrum forever. And to understand where we are today, we've got to look more deeply than just saying, oh, it's handmade or it's not handmade. Yeah. And so he's, he's talking about today, what the way a lot of people are talking about it in 1968, and I think for the most part it, it has continued... Um, he's saying today, the way that people talk about all this is um, is not only, he says, deeply colored, 
by the arts and crafts movement, but it's mm. also kind of a misunderstanding of the arts and crafts movement. Right. If the arts and crafts movement was mistaken, the, the popularized version of it is even more uh, misguided. That um, it's basically just a protest against the industrial revolution, mm. and that is the distinction. There's nothing more clear. There's nothing more, uh, you know, spelled out than that. It's just you know, back then, yeah, in the good old days, right. And so it's interesting uh, to talk about that in those terms of, uh, let's say, the arts and crafts movement was a protest against the machine made in favor of the handmade or the mass produced in favor of the handmade. When, I mean, really, the arts and crafts movement was a, a political protest yep. against the way that workers were being used in factories. Right, right? exactly. So to say it's about handmade versus factory, it's, it's missing the point. It's It's completely lost. Well, it is interesting too, because when you think of, you know, this word factory, when we talk mm -hmm. about factory production, what is that word? It's short for something. It's short, yep. short for manufactory. Mm -hmm. Manu, manual, your hands. Hand production, right? This, yep. this hand place. So the manufactories of the 19th century yeah. didn't have machinery. Yeah, or even they, 18th century. They had a bunch, yeah, exactly. They had a bunch of people um, standing it was uh, like basically, I don't know, 20 journeymen all within a huge shop, but it was all about specialization. Uh -huh. So you're moving from, uh, you know, cabinet making shops to manufactories. And the difference is not mechanization. Uh, it's treating people yeah. in a mechanized way, yeah. i.e. you are a cog in the machine, <laughs> the machine, i.e. this uh, division of labor, this special, you got, you're the drawer guy and you do this and you do the stock prep and you do inlay and you do finishing. And that way of looking at production uh, laid the seeds for the industrial, that was the beginning of the industrial revolution was right. this specialization. And that is what the arts and crafts movement was highlighting and targeting saying, uh -huh. this is not good. People aren't working for themselves. We want artisans, you know, like in the medieval era where right. people were, you know, independent and working alongside people, but they weren't just, you know, um, you know, John Ruskin compares, you know, to Roman slavery, that there was, yeah. it was a similar sort of thing. You had no creative input in the process. And exactly. so, yeah, so Morris draws that line. He says, you know, like back then when someone made a chair, they made it from start to finish. He's saying handcraft was work without division of labor. So you are a chair maker, you make a chair. You start, you go get the wood, you rive it out, you turn it or you shave it down and you make the parts, you knock it together, you glue it, maybe you even paint it, you bring it to market, you're a chair maker. As opposed to the industrial revolution, which meant that you make legs or you make rungs you're or the, you do the painting. You're the third shift inlay guy. Yeah, the third shift inlay guy. That would be a pretty bad, I mean, imagine doing inlay by candlelight. <laughs> that would be difficult. Talk about risk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, that's what Morris was saying. Yeah. Uh, and that was sort of behind the arts and crafts movement is saying, let's not specialize. Let's just do this from start to finish so that we have our hands in every aspect of this this creative process. Yeah, and Pi doesn't like that actually, by right. the way. So Pi's not saying, and they really got it right. He actually doesn't think they're even correct about how they characterize the medieval era. Mm -hmm. But he says, hold on, I'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll go later. Uh, but basically he's just saying, even this whole notion that um, about, you know, is anything done by hand, this, oh, the machine ruined everything. He's right. saying, 
even this comes from a misunderstanding of an overstatement made by the arts and crafts movement. Uh-huh. So it is just so far away from reality that uh, we need to make sure that this is clear. Yeah. And he does, he makes this note that um, for Morris, for William Morris, handicraft did not exclude the use of machines, right? So again, we're coming back to that. William Morris was all about the lathe. He was all about uh, even a powered lathe, right? He was um, completely in favor of the use of machines as long as uh, the crafts, the craftsman, the artisan had creative agency, right? That mm-hmm. was more his aim than saying, do away with everything predictable in work. Right, exactly. <clears throat> so um, kind of winding towards the end of this chapter, uh, Pi makes this statement. Uh, he says, uh, basically, he's, he's come full circle now, and he's coming back to, again, how hard it is to define handwork. He says, I'm inclined to propose that the term handwork should be confined to the work of a hand and an unguided tool, but that is an extremely restrictive definition. Yeah. Right? He's saying, what is an unguided If you run anyway? this out to its full degree, then yeah. that's how you'd have to define it. But how, let's just dispense of the whole. Yeah. He's yeah. like, so let's not. That's go why handmade. we should not use this term handmade. Right. Uh, at least within his discussion about a technical discussion, he's saying, let's just keep that phrase out of a technical discussion. Because yeah. he says, he says, I don't, this is interesting. He says, I do not think any woodworking tool can be properly said to be unguided mm-hmm. after the moment when it enters the wood. Yeah. So there's a qualification there. After the moment it enters the wood. They all cut their own jig as they work. And he talks about like a, like a paring chisel, right? Mm-hmm. Once the, the cut has begun, uh, there's sort of a self-jigging nature to the shape of the chisel, that it'll ride its own jig. Uh, later, he talks about um, a few different examples of the ads, how the ads right. will, you know, the, the surface it cuts is creating the, the fence that it's going to ride on. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't believe any woodworking tool can really be said to be unguided once the cut begins. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's an interesting, uh, really picky yeah, uh, technical is, You can tell Pi's been thinking long and hard about this for this chapter. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he says if, there are, if there's any operation, if you really want to, if you want to hold on to this word and you want to use it in a technical way, then what you are restricted to of if, if handmade craftsmanship mm-hmm. is what well, pottery is one thing yep. you mentioned basketry writing yep. and sewing yeah i mean you really don't have much left that's that's really just handmade yep. a hand an unguided tool and the material that's what you're left with basically um so yeah he's gone he's brought us to this chapter i think to bring us to a sense of desperation to, to crush our yeah. preconceptions we think we know, knew something and now we know we don't so now we're ready to move on. Um, and in the next chapter, Pi is going to talk about quality. And so that will be a good one to get into. Uh, he goes uh, you know, all over the map to bring us um, knowledge of this term, what he's talking about when he thinks about quality and workmanship. So uh, we will get to that next time. Uh, in the meantime, thank you again for listening to the Morrison Tenon podcast. If you haven't already, uh, if you haven't subscribed, you can uh, do so wherever you get your podcasts, here at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, a wide variety of places. Uh, And again, if you have any comments or questions, you can leave them below. Thanks for listening.